We meet today in Isaiah chapter 45. In this chapter we are considering the calling of Cyrus before he was born and also the creation of the universe as the continuance of Israel. This chapter continues the theme of the preceding chapter of 44 and it begins with Cyrus as the last chapter closed with him. So it is rather unfortunate that the final verse of chapter 44 is not the first verse of this chapter. But I'm sure you understand that chapter and verse divisions were actually man-made. Because of this situation, I would like to repeat the final verse of chapter 44 before I move on since it properly belongs to chapter 45. Who says sigh of Cyrus? He is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure saying to Jerusalem you shall be built and to the temple your foundation shall be laid Isaiah 44 verse 28 you see here Cyrus was named and identified almost 200 years before he was born This unusual prophecy has caused the liberal critic to construct out of the web of imagination the figment of the great unknown writer of this section of the book of Isaiah. Well, the fact that Isaiah could name a man two centuries before he actually appears is strong a tonic for the weak faith of an unbeliever. The question is Why was Cyrus marked out like this two centuries before he was born? Well, I believe there are three reasons. Primarily, it was for identification. When Cyrus did appear on the scene, there would be no misunderstanding about whom Isaiah had spoken about. Also, Cyrus would be the man responsible for a decree that would return the nation of Israel to her land, Judah. Another reason Isaiah called Cyrus by name through the revelation of God was so that his accuracy could also be demonstrated. If in 200 years Isaiah could be accurate about Cyrus, he also could be accurate in his prophecy concerning the one born of a virgin, Emmanuel, God with us, who was to come 700 years later. the instructed israelite should have been prepared for the coming of christ now notice also that god calls cyrus my shepherd and he says that he shall perform all my pleasure and shall rebuild jerusalem i want you to remember that god used assyria here to take the northern kingdom of israel into captivity then he used babylon to destroy jerusalem and take the southern kingdom into captivity the men god used to do this were the wicked people and god judged them for what they had done but cyrus is different here god calls him my shepherd who shall perform all my pleasure now when we get to heaven i believe that there will be two things that will really be of surprise to many of us the first one would be we will meet there the people whom we didn't even expect to be there and i think cyrus maybe is going to be one of them and then we will also be surprised by the people whom we expected to be there and we will not see them there oh my friend the only reason any of us will be there is because of christ 
who is our Savior. However, it is also interesting to note that God says that Cyrus shall perform all my pleasure. Not only God's will, but also his pleasure. After all, both Sennacherib and Nebuchadnezzar performed God's will in taking Israel and Judah into captivity. But Cyrus will perform God's pleasure. And that is a little different, isn't it? It's not just the will of God, but also God's pleasure. Isaiah 45 verse 1 Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, and to loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. This is a remarkable prophecy, my friend. Cyrus did not appear on the pages of history until 200 years later after Isaiah spoke of him. Cyrus came out of the east from Persia. The ruins of his tomb have been found in Pasaged in Iran, and you cannot read the inscription without recognizing that he was a humble man who trusted God. Most of the great rulers of the past were braggarts, and most of them were liars. Everything they said you have to take with a grain of salt. The records they left uh, magnified their greatness, sort of like the ones left by the modern politicians, and cannot be trusted. But Cyrus was different. He made no great claims. He did not boast, and yet he conquered the world. Also note that God calls Cyrus his anointed, a title that applies only to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did God give such a title to Cyrus? Well, I believe because Cyrus carried out the will of God and delivered the Israelites from the captivity and permitted them to return to the land of the promise. That is why he used that statement. Also, he encouraged the Israelites who did not return to send rich gifts of gold, silver, and precious things with those who did go back. In that respect, Cyrus was a Gentile Messiah of Israel and a vague foreshadowing of the one who was to come. And again in that verse we are told of the double doors. These are evidently a reference to the numerous gates of Babylon which shut Israel out from returning to Palestine. Cyrus opened those gates and said that the Israelites could walk out they were free to return to their homeland. Now God says this of Cyrus. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I am the Lord who called you by your name. I am the God of Israel. Isaiah 45 verse 3. You see, the rich treasures of Babylon, which the kings of Babylon had taken as spoils of war from all nations, especially from Jerusalem, fell all to Cyrus. What a prophecy, an accurate one. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you, though you have not known me. 
Isaiah 45 verse 4 to verse 5. You see, God chose Cyrus before he knew the Lord. Now it is reasonable to conclude that Cyrus came to know the living and true God. Thus, says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. This is according to Ezra 1 verse 2. Cyrus must have come to a point where he knew God, and God chose him before he knew him. Isn't it also true about you and me? God chose you before you knew him, so that you would serve him today. Now, the creation of the universe is the subject that we want to look at now. Here is a remarkable statement relative to the creation of the universe before all time. God says, I formed the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Isaiah 45 verse 7. Now, Zoroastrianism began in Persia. And this system teaches that Mazda is the god of light. Now God says here he creates light, and that is no god. Light was created by God. The Persians were getting very close to the truth. Many have wondered why they worshipped one god in the midst of idolatry. Well, you must remember that they came in contact with the nation of Israel, and Israel was a witness to the world. In Zoroastrianism, darkness was Ariman, the god of evil. And God takes responsibility now for creating the darkness also, even darkness. The word creating darkness here and the word darkness does not really mean wickedness in this instance, but rather he creates sorrows, difficulties or tragedies, those things which are the fruit of evil, the fruit of sin. Now, this is the Old Testament way of saying the wages of sin is death. If you indulge in sin, there will be a payday for it, my friend. By the way, let me introduce something else at this point. Since we are living in a day when it is said that good and evil are relative terms. Now, whatever you think is good is good. That is not a philosophy to live by. The argument is put like this. The Bible says, you shall not murder and you shall not steal. But what is the Bible? Who should obey it? Or why should we listen to the God of the Bible? Well, the Lord has another very cognate argument. God says that if you indulge in sin, you will find that sin has its payday. It pays a full wage, by the way, my friend. This is what God is saying through Isaiah. God has so created the universe that when you break over the bounds, the rules that he has set in place, you don't need a judge. You don't need even a hangman's noose. You don't need an electric chair. God will take care of you, my friend. He says, therefore, that he is the one who creates light and darkness. He is answering Zoroastrianism, which worshipped the God of light. God says, I want you to know that light is no God. I created light. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the post head strive with the post heads of the earth. 
Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or shall your handwork say, He has no hands? Isaiah 45 verse 9. In other words here, why do you fight against God? You are going to lose anyway if you do. Now the Greeks had a proverb that went something like this. The dice of the gods are loaded. And my friend, that's exactly what God says in his word. He says, don't think you can fight me. Settle your case out of court, my friend. No wonder he gave that invitation. Isaiah 1 verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Friend, don't gamble with God. Because when he rolls the dice, he knows exactly how they are going to come up. Yet you don't know. And this is tremendous, my friend. Now listen, the Lord makes some other claims. I have made the earth and I created men on it. I, my hands stretched out the heavens, all their host I have commanded. Isaiah 45 verse 12. Now here it is interesting that God says he stretched out the heavens. This is no accident, my friend. It was Sir James Jeans, a Christian astronomer in Great Britain who advanced a theory that today most astronomers actually follow. The planets and the worlds and the galactic systems are all moving out away from each other. Now God says, I stretched out the heavens. That is exactly the way he did it. Although he hasn't told us exactly how he did it or how he could Take nothing and make something out of nothing. Regardless of what theory you adopt, my friend, you have to move back to the place where there is nothing, then there is something. If you can tell me how nothing becomes something, then I will listen to you. Until you can answer that, you can't talk about teddy poles and monkeys, evolution, all you want to do. You can talk, my friend, but I will just sit and smile. Because it does not help at all. I am very skeptical. I don't believe you. Yet only God has a reasonable answer. God says I created it. By his fiend word, he brought the universe into existence. Do you have a more intelligent answer than what God has given to us in his word? We now move to the section where we look at the continuancy of Israel. It is a third division there, the continuance of Israel for all time and eternity. God won't let us forget this subject. Israel will continue. Isaiah 45 verse 17. But Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. Now those who believe that God is through with Israel should take a long look at this passage and even this verse. Isaiah's salvation is everlasting. And God says, yes, you are going to be judged Israel. You are going to Babylon, but you are also going to return to the land. Rebellion is still in your heart, but ultimately I am going to serve you. Again, he gives them an invitation. It was wide open then, and it is wide open today. Look to me and be served. All you ends of the earth, 
for I am God and there is no other. Isaiah 45 verse 22. You see, this verse is one of the high points of prophecy here. Look to me and be saved. God's love is not limited to Israel alone. It says all you ends of the earth. God cares for all humanity and he invites every man to look to me and be saved. On hearing a sermon based on this verse by an uneducated preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the famous 19th century English Baptist pastor, was converted to Christ. It said that Spurgeon was on his way to church on one Sunday morning when a snowstorm hit London. Because he couldn't make it to his church, he stopped at a little church along the way. The storm was also very severe that the preacher who was supposed to come and preach in that little church did not make it. So a man got up from the pews and said a few words. Spurgeon never knew the name of that man. He only knew that he was an uneducated man. What did this man say? He chose Isaiah 45 verse 22 as his text. And what he lacked in lightning, he made up for in thunder. This verse says, Look unto me and be ye saved. He began to talk about the verse. God says you should look to him and be saved. By that time, he ran out of ammunition. He had said all he could say about the verse. So he went into the thunder department and began to roar and pour and even pound the pulpit. Look to God, all ye ends of the earth, and be saved. He looked back there in the congregation and he saw the young fellow Spurgeon sitting there with a very miserable look on his face. The man said to Spurgeon, you look to Jesus and you will be saved. At that instant, Spurgeon was a very brilliant man, but he did what this ignorant man suggested. He looked to Jesus and he was saved. But we know what came out of Spurgeon. My friend, as you listen to me today, look to Jesus and you will be saved. No matter who you are, no matter where you are at, you look to Jesus and be saved. Isaiah 45 verse 23 says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. Now, the latter chapters of Isaiah contain a number of declarations by God of who he is and what he has done. As God's declarations to the kingdoms of Egypt and Cushishaw, he addresses the nations of the world with warnings of judgment and promises of redemption. The Lord states plainly that he alone is able to carry out these purposes. No other so-called God, no superpower on earth, no human being can match his sovereign power and authority. That's why he says again, I have sworn by myself the word that has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. You see, my friend, the covenant of promise comes from a mouth of righteousness. And that divine word is able to accomplish its purpose. Even though all men do not turn to the Lord in genuine repentance, all men will bow before him and proclaim his sovereign lordship at a later time. And 
Romans chapter 14 verse 11 testifies that instead of waiting for that day where you will just have to be forced to do it when you recognize he is the only king, why don't you worship him now out of sheer love and delight in what God has given us? You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one four four seven five. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code two seven followed by seven two six four one four four seven five. From within South Africa it's zero seven two six four one Four four seven five.